Today, we're starting a new series that I'm calling There's So Much More to the Story. Now, what story? Well, we're going to talk about the account of Esther. Hey guys, it's Amber, wife, mother, warrior, type A child of God. Here at Little Things, we examine everyday issues from a biblical perspective with one simple goal, to know and love God more. Thanks for joining me. I don't know about you, but I've been hearing so much about Esther, particularly the one phrase for such a time as this. Now, I don't know if you realize, I'm sure a lot of you do, but that is just a few words taken from Esther 4, verse 14, which says, For if you remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance for the Jews will arise from another place, but you and your father's family will perish. And who knows that you have come to your royal position for such a time as this. So I want to spend some weeks talking about Esther so that we all sort of get the story or at least as much of it as we're given. Because there's a whole lot of things, details that we we don't really know. But let's delve into this so we really understand what for such a time as this means. And today's episode, episode one, is called The Stage is Set. So Esther chapter one introduces us to Xerxes. And if you get a chance, go back and read it if you haven't read it for a while. I'm not going to read the whole chapter. In fact, I'm just going to summarize a lot of it. But the first verses describe Xerxes' power and the vastness of his kingdom. So the People's Bible explains that his kingdom stretched from India to Greece through Egypt and Ethiopia, and it was the largest empire the world had known up to this time. So he was sort of a big deal. And he threw a banquet for all his officials and military leaders. And likely, most sources say, this was a military planning meeting because he was about to go to war against Greece. Now, we're told that for six months, he showed off his wealth. So for a full 180 days, he wanted to show everybody the vast wealth that he had. And then after that time, he threw a week-long banquet. The People's Bible says that historian Herodotus um, recounts what sort of man Xerxes was. So when Xerxes did finally go off to war against Greece, a father approached Xerxes and he said that four of his sons were going to war with Greece, but he asked for an exemption for his youngest son, that his youngest son might stay at home with him since his other sons were off, you know, going off to war and he didn't know if they would return. At which point Either Xerxes himself or he commanded someone to take their sword and cut this young man in half and put one half of the young man on one side of the road and the other half of the young man on the other side of the road. And then Xerxes proclaimed to the man, there, now he can stay at home with you. Um, I'm not sure <laughs> that we always understand who Xerxes was. He had a ton of money. 
he spent, you know, six months making sure everybody saw the vastness of his wealth. He had a lot of power. He was in control of this vast empire. So everybody was bowing down to him. And he was used to getting his way. So clearly, when someone came against him or his thoughts of how things should go, like this humble father who approached him, we see that Xerxes doesn't take kindly to opposition. In fact, Warner Franzman, who wrote a commentary, uh, wrote this. Greek historians picture him as a king who loved pomp and luxury and pleasure to an inordinate, that means excessive, degree. So just understand who Xerxes was. Now, verse 10 brings us to the end of the seven-day-long banquet that he was throwing and Xerxes' request, which caused a lot of trouble because he requested that Vashti come before him and his nobles who had been drinking together. Now, Vashti is the queen at the time, and we're going to talk about her next. But why did he want her to come before his nobles? Well, he said so that he could display her beauty. Now, remember, (laughs) for six months, he has been displaying the beauty and the majesty and the glory of his kingdom to anyone who cared to look at it. So Vashti was just one more thing that he wanted to show off in front of these people who were at and attending his banquet. So the problem was Vashti, or at least by his account. That brings us to the second person that we're going to talk to talk about, which is Vashti. She's the queen at the time, and she was having her own banquet. We're told that she's having a banquet with the women of the kingdom. Now, Jay Sidler Baxter wrote in his book, Explore the Book, the king's order that Vashti should come and immodestly display herself before a vast company of half-intoxicated revelers was not only a gross breach of Persian etiquette, but a cruel outrage which would have disgraced for life the one whom, above all other, the king should have protected. Vashti's refusal was courageous and fully justified. Though we can well understand that such a public rebuff to one who was an absolute monarch and vainglorious in the extreme, vainglorious in the extreme, must have been as humiliating and exasperating as it was richly deserved. So, bottom line, King Xerxes is at the end of his banquet and he and his drunken officials are all hanging out and he demands, he requests that his queen come and display herself so that these drunken men, who were in high spirits, we're told, after a week of drinking, could look and gaze upon her beauty. And when the eunuchs came to Vashti to, you know, summon her and tell her to come, she flat out refused. And so Baxter explains, you know, it would have been a total disgrace for Vashti to present herself before these drunken men. And so she refused even though she knew Xerxes and his personality, and she knew that there would likely be some sort 
of lashing out. Josephus said that Vashti refused out of regard to the laws of the Persians, which forbid the wives to be seen by strangers. So Josephus went even further and said, it's not just that she would go against, you know, Persian etiquette. It would it would have been against the law for her to go to these strangers to be displayed. Whatever it was, she refused. And that set her up in opposition to King Xerxes, who had commanded her to do this. Now, all I want to point out about Vashti is this. She is in a lose-lose position. Any decision that she makes at that point when she was summoned, whatever she does, she can't win. If she goes, she loses face among all the other women of the land who, you know, say, why in the world would you stoop to that level? Why would you allow yourself to be an object like this when it was clearly against, you know, Persian adequate etiquette, and maybe even law? But if she doesn't go, she could suffer the wrath of the king. So whatever decision she made was likely not going to be putting her in a position to be hailed by at least someone. So that's her dilemma. And this brings us to the third group of people. And these are the nobles. These are the nobles who are surrounding King Xerxes. So when Vashti said no, she refused to go with the eunuchs who came and summoned her. And in case you don't know, eunuchs are people who were castrated in order to serve the king. So we're going to hear more about eunuchs in the um, next chapters, that they were the people who, you know, surround the harem and take care of the harem. So they were castrated because the king certainly didn't want any of them to have any sort of sexual relationships with his harem and his concubines. So to remove the threat, they would be castrated and then they were in service to the king. So when Xerxes found out that Vashti refused to come to him, he turned to his nobles, in fact, seven of his nobles and said, you know, according to law, what must be done to her because she has not obeyed my command? And these nobles got together, and there's one in particular, Mamukin, who said, look, by wronging you, she's wronged all of us, and there's going to be disobedient and disrespect and discord among wives all across the land because they're all going to start disobeying their husbands. So you're going to have to banish her. So all the wives know this isn't going to be tolerated. Now, what you have to realize about the nobles is clearly they have to be yes men. So they have to tell the king what he wants to hear, knowing who Xerxes was, that he was this arrogant man who ruled with absolute power. It's not as if they could, you know, say to Xerxes, hey, you were drunk. The guys were drunk. It was kind of a stupid thing to request. Probably you should just let it go under the radar. Don't worry about it. They had to fluff his vanity because if they didn't, there's a good chance they wouldn't be alive. And so 
these weren't people who necessarily were looking out for the king. They certainly weren't looking, you know, to sharpen the king. I think of Proverbs 27, 17, that says, as iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another. You know, I want people around me who don't just tell me that I'm doing well when something goes well. I want people around me who suggest maybe there's a better way or who suggest I was probably wrong or clearly was wrong in that circumstance and I probably better apologize or I need to humble myself before the Lord or or whatever. You know, if if we're going to have the character um, of godly people, then we're going to need to surround ourselves with people who are going to call us out and hold us accountable. But clearly, that wasn't on Xerxes' radar, not in the least. So at the end of chapter one, we see Vashti is one, on one side. So she's the queen, and yet she's disobeyed the king. And then the king and his nobles are on the other going, oh, man, she's wronged us all. Something has to be done. And so they decide that they are going to vanish Vashti and that someone else who's, you know, more noble than Vashti should take her place. So really, at the end of chapter one, this just enlightens us as to the world that Esther and all the Israelites who are left in Persia, the world that they're living in. We see the characters of Xerxes and the nobles. We see the removal of Queen Vashti. And we like the rest of the Persians, wait with anticipation to see what's going to happen. This just reminds me that, you know, nothing is new under the sun. As we are in times of confusion, and maybe even, you know, disgust, as we look at some of the things that our rulers do, imagine living in Xerxes, Persia, hearing about the man with five sons, and his youngest son being cut in half. Or imagine how those people were taxed so that Xerxes could show off the wealth. Now, granted, he had lots and lots of areas that would have paid tribute to him. But still, imagine seeing your money go to him living in such a lavish, exuberant way. Imagine hearing about how narcissistic he is and wondering how that might affect you. Stormy O'Martin, she wrote The Power of a Praying Wife. I read that years ago. It, it was a f- phenomenal book. It really made a huge impact on me. She wrote this, In the darkest times of your life, your praise to God should be the loudest. Let the enemy know you're not afraid of the dark. And today in my reading, I was in Proverbs chapter 29. I came across verse 25 that says this, fear of man will prove to be a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord is kept safe. When we're in these times when we see wicked men ruling, and I'm not talking about anybody in particular at this point, I'm I'm just saying that many of us for years have been calling out to God and asking him to raise up godly Christian leaders, not just, you know, at our state level or our local level, but at the national level, and not just in secular society, um, but even in the church. Raise up godly people who 
you know, are above reproach, who are above being yes men, who just do whatever is suggested, but who honestly look at situations and are able to discern what is good and right for our church, for our city, for our states, for our nation. Um, so if if we're if we've been at all, you know, saddened or depressed or wondering when and if that's ever going to happen, you know, it's good for us to see there's nothing new. And it's also good for us to see Proverbs 29, 25. Don't look for a leader, a man to save you. Put your trust and put your hope in God. He's going to keep you safe. Now, that's not to say that dark times aren't going to come. That's not to say that there won't be you know, times in history that you don't have to live under wicked rulers. It's just to say, hey, God sees you and he'll either save you or he'll work things out for your good or he'll take you home to be with him in heaven. And whichever way it goes, God sees and knows he's sovereign over all of this. Nancy DeMoss Walgamuth loves to say heaven rules. And I just love to remind myself that, look, whatever else is going on, and however big Xerxes thought he was, God was bigger. And really, in chapter one, we see this man who thinks he's pretty special and pretty big. And yet we see God moving situations and causing things to happen to set a stage. And we're going to see that all throughout the book of Esther. In fact, I just want to finish with this little um, paragraph from the People's Bible. It says this, this chapter reminds us that we should be careful not to conclude that every time the Bible describes people's actions, it is prescribing that we should follow their example. The real lesson in this chapter is not found in the behavior of Xerxes or Vashti, but in the power of God, who was invisibly directing human affairs for the ultimate good of his people. Now, I don't know if that brings a smile to your face the way it brings a smile to my face, but to me, that is the best hope ever because it doesn't matter who comes to power. It doesn't matter ultimately who is in charge because God is over them and he can use anybody. He can use wicked men, wicked women. He can use circumstances, situations. He can use anything and anyone to do his bidding and work on behalf of his people. This has been Little Things. Because in God's kingdom, the little things are the big things. Hey, it's Amber. Thanks for listening to Little Things today. I know that there are so many things that you could listen to, so I don't take it for granted that you are here listening to me now. I want to listen to you. If you have any feedback or suggestions, if there's topics that you'd like to see me cover, or if you'd just like to say hi, go ahead and drop me an email at amber at timeofgrace.org.